lots and lots of spoilers. Love, what is it? It's a many-splendored thing. It lifts us up where we belong. It's everywhere. It's all you need. It's the answer. It's a battlefield. It stinks. It's soft as an easy chair. Yep. There. I hope I've cleared that up for you. In in this, our latest series, Isn't It Romantic? Mike and I will be staying up late, eating ice cream, braiding each other's hair, and talking about romantic comedies. Possibly never, never going to braid your hair. My hair can't be braided. It can be. T- it cannot be tamed. <laughs> Possibly there will be pillow fights. I'll have to check the manual. <laughs> yes, we're going to discuss the romantic comedy, the the rom com, if you will, to coin a phrase, <laughs> one of the mainstays of mainstream cinema here on Main Street USA. We're going to open up our own romper room. <laughs> and we're also looking for a new host. Uh, well, <laughs> and while it has faded somewhat at times over the last hundred years, it always seems to emerge in one form or another, and we're going to discuss a number of those forms. For our first form, we're, going, we're starting out by going way, way back into the dim and distant past, to a time not unlike our last movie when dinosaurs ruled the earth and the movie studios. <laughs> To a time when the visible spectrum only included black, white, and gray. Green wasn't invented until 1943. I checked. It's true. Look it up. Yep. All the way back to Frank Capra's 1934 classic, It Happened One Night, starring Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. This film is credited with being the first screwball comedy. We'll talk about that. And was the very first romantic comedy to win Best Picture and several others. But we'll get to that, too and in many ways became the gold standard of this genre. So let's get to that hair braiding. I'm your host, Max, when loving lovers love, Levine, and over there, lounging on the chaise lounge, is Mike, I love Rocky Road, loose. <laughs> There's no, that's, that's really, that's sexist, that's what that is. <laughs> hair braiding. Well, your hair's long enough to braid. Well, there is that. Yeah. Mine, I guess you could do, I don't know, twists or something. Even when mine said it's longest, the best you could work on off was uh, probably a, one of those rat tail or pump handle things. Oh, there's going to be a twist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, first, a little business. Ah, yes, we forgot that last week. <laughs> we did, and I'm sure the audience has been crushed. But uh, you, as audience. you know, you can find us at maxmikemovies.com, our website with a complete archive in downloadable form. Collect them, trade them with your friends of all our old podcast episodes. Unless you you want to keep them. Unless you want to. Yes, if you don't want to keep your friends, by all means, trade them. Uh, uh, You can find us on the podcast app of your choice, such as uh, the Google Podcast app, the Apple iTunes Podcast app, and I believe iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Spotify, and we're on the mediums of socialness, Twitter, and Facebook under Max Mike Movies. And if you have any ideas, comments, questions, burning questions, you can email us at... Painful, itchy questions. <laughs> swelling, oozing questions. Anyway, yeah. You can email us at us at maxmikemovies.com. Or you can text Mike directly. He loves that. Hey, no, stop the texting. <laughs> I appreciate people listening to the show. Just write us. Yeah, it's nice. There's comments on the website. You can do that, too. It's nice. There's stuff. It's yep. nice. And, and hey, uh, don't forget to leave those uh, those ratings on those uh, those, those oh, yeah. apps. Yep, yep. Uh, smash that like subscribing thing button. But <laughs> hey, we got five stars on iTunes. Hey, there you go. I'll take it. Yeah, because we make tons of money. Oh yeah, yeah, every star is more internet dollars, which can be spent in internet stores buying internet goods. Yeah, it's, we have our own uh, uh, cryptocurrency. Yep, yep. That's right. We're calling Max it- Bucks. <laughs> That's right. We're, uh, Mike Erium. I have 50,000 Max Bucks. What's that in real money? <laughs> Nothing. Max Bucks are pancakes. Oh. Yes, it's based on the Kabuki. Uh, right, so, so the I movie. bet you have trivia. Yeah, I bet you have trivia about this movie. Yes, Don't I you, do. Max? The show. The budget for this movie was about $325,000. Well, not, not, not bad for 1934. The domestic box office, and this was just domestic, you understand. This was not back before they were releasing films internationally. 2.5 million. 
Hey, oh, so it's a failure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, and this one, we'll get to that. This was not expected to be a hit at all. But as it was, this was, as I said, the first rom com to win Best Picture. It was not the last, though. It's uh, the others have been You Can't Take It With You, also Mr. Capra, uh, 1938, The Apartment in 1960, Annie Hall in 1977, which beat out Star Wars, Terms yeah. of Endearment, 1983, Shakespeare in Love in 898, and The Artist, the last one in 2011. The It Happened One Night was also the first movie to do a, what they call a clean sweep of the Academy Awards. All It won all five of the big five. Picture, director, wow. actor, actress, and screenplay. Wow. Yeah. It is one of only three movies in the entire history of the Academy Awards to do that. The other two are One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, I better change my uh, notes real quick. <clears throat> okay, right. Yeah. Oh, yes, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, it's also... Uh, the interesting thing... It Happened One Night was only nominated in those five categories. So it was nominated in five, and it won every category it was nominated for. Wow. Now, this was a Columbia Pictures picture. Columbia Pictures was um, not exactly one of the top-ranked studios. It was called Poverty Row. It was on this section of Hollywood where all the cheapy studios were. Hmm. They had done okay. They even had some Oscar nominations. But they didn't have a lot of big successes. MGM and Warner Brothers, who were the big boys on the block, they used to lend out temperamental actors to Columbia as punishment. (laughs) Yes, for real or imagined wrongdoings. Yeah. If you don't shape up, you're going to Columbia. No, not Columbia. And this was back in the old studio system where the studios, for all intents and purposes, owned the actors. Yeah. You signed a contract, you you worked for MGM, that was it. MGM told you where you could work, who you could work for. This went on for a long time. Uh, oddly enough, Harry Cohn, who was the Columbia boss, he didn't want to pay for his own roster of contract stars. Couldn't afford it. He was too cheap. <laughs> so he would invariably grab these people and just shove them to work on Frank Capra movies. Here, do that. He he might He'll, he'll do something good eventually. That, this movie... Not only uh, was a critical success, it single-handedly lifted Columbia out of Poverty Row. That was when they really became a contender. Wow. Neither of the stars of this movie, Claudette Colbert or Clark Gable, wanted to do this movie. Clark Gable was loaned by MGM as a punishment for his affair with Joan Crawford. (laughs) Yeah. Well, wouldn't that be punishing enough? I would think. (laughs) All, no wire hangers. No wire hangers. Whap, whap. <laughs> Mommy dearest. Uh, Constance Bennett and Myrna Loy turned the script down. Claudette Colbert only accepted because Capra promised her twice her ordinary salary and she'd be done in four weeks. Four dollars. No, it's like $50,000. It was twice Ooh. what she... Yeah. 50 grand for four weeks work. Uh, I'd do it. Supposedly went... She she was apparently a um, bit of a problem on the set and complained every day. On the last day of shooting, she said to a friend, I just finished making the worst picture I ever made. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, wasn't uh, having to reach too far for her part, huh? Not really. And uh, she was so sure this movie would not be a success, she didn't even attend the Oscars. Yeah, when she won Best Actress, she was found about to leave the town. They grabbed her off a train, and she had to make her acceptance speech in a traveling suit. She wasn't wearing a gown. She was just wearing what they they used to call a traveling suit. I wonder what that is. Not sure. Hmm. Uh, When Clark Gable showed up for work the first day, he reportedly said to the whole set, Let's get this over with. When he had his first meeting with Frank Capra, he showed up drunk, rude, and pissed off. Great. In spite of this, by the way, they eventually became really good friends. Uh, Frank Capra came up with that whole wall of Jericho thing with the blanket because Claudette Colbert refused to undress in front of the camera. It's fine. Yeah, when Clark Gable won the Oscar, he gave it to some kid. The, uh, who admired it, and he said, "It's not the winning of the statue; it's the winning of the statue that mattered, not owning it." 
<laughs> the child, he, the kid returned the statue to Gable's family after Gable's death. Huh? In 1996, Steven Spielberg anonymously bought that Oscar to protect it from further commercial exploitation and gave it back to the Academy of Motion Art, Picture Arts and Sciences. Not so anonymously. Not, not so much. <laughs> yeah, Columbia had no faith in the film, and they released it with very little fanfare and almost no advertising. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I, it was pushed out to secondary theaters where it suddenly became a huge success, and it was their biggest hit up to that point. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, here's an odd connection. This film actually has a connection to Bugs Bunny. Okay. Frizz Freelang, who, while not the creator of Bugs Bunny, that was, I guess that goes to Tex Avery and what was that guy, Bob? Bob Clampett? No, no, not Bob Clampett. There was another Bob. Mm. But Fri- Frizz Freeling was one of the major architects. He helped shape Bugs Bunny's cartoon, right. uh, his character. And he claimed in his unpublished memoirs, he said this was one of his favorite films, and there were at least three things in this movie that he based Bugs Bunny on, his interpretation of Bugs. Uh, w- one of them was sort of Oscar Shapely, the uh, Lothario on the bus... His personality, and you notice he calls her, he keeps calling Clark Gable Doc. Okay. The way Clark Gable is e- sitting on a fence eating carrots and talking really fast at the same time. <laughs> I, 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 I totally went to Bugs Bunny when he was eating the carrots. <laughs> and remember totally when uh, when Peter Peter Warren, Clark Gable's character, is trying to scare Oscar, he threatens him with this character named Bugs Dooley. That is not where the name comes from. Okay, that was at least what Frizz said. Where did the name come from? A guy who actually was drawing the character. Uh, His name was Bugs Hardaway. Okay. So. uh, Freilang also claimed that uh, the character Alexander Andrews, um, Ellie's father, was was an inspiration for Yosemite Sam. And King Wesley (laughs) was an inspiration, at least visually, for Pepe Le Pew. Oh, Which okay. I can kind of see, because the character King Wesley, you know, Jameson Thomas, has a really kind of rodent-like face. Yeah, the the father, though, uh, well, the Pepe Le Pew thing, uh, that's a character, actually, I believe, created by Chuck Jones. Oh, okay. So, well, but, uh, whatever, Frizz may have been fine. taking credit for stuff he shouldn't have. There, there was a lot of stuff in this film that's like, I think I heard this in a Warner Brothers cartoon later, of course, because um, there was a very cartoonish essence nuance if you will yeah uh just a couple of very small technical points uh it's hard to value to exactly judge the value of money in the past but it's estimated the hundred thousand dollars that king wesley is accepts not to contest the annulment would be about two million dollars today that's all that's all i'm surprised i would have thought it would be more because i when he said a hundred thousand dollars i'd like did people have that much back then (laughs) oh yeah um uh, what is it? Uh, Warren says at one point he makes some reference to uh, uh, Andrews having uh, twenty million. Oh, okay. They were millionaires back then. Yeah, I know, but this is during uh, the yeah. depression, so there weren't quite as many as there had been. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, the autogyro that King flies in is a Kellett K three autogyro NC one two six nine one. So you owe me five bucks. Uh, the actual pilot, <laughs> if you look carefully, you can see there's a pilot sitting in it, even though King is supposed to be the one flying it. Well, I have a question for you. Do you know what an autogyro yeah. is? Yeah, it was a sort of a weird hybrid attempt between a helicopter and a pl- and a propeller plane. Right, but do you know the big deal about the autogyro? Like what? If I re- well, the thing I thought about was it could do vertical takeoff and landing. Well, no. So oh, we more? actually will see another one of these much later in a James Bond film in uh, uh-huh. You Only Live Twice. The autogyro is interesting because there is no motor connected to the propeller above the plane. What? It achieves its lift and its maneuverability by its forward motion. So when it moves forward, that's what causes it to spin, and that provides the extra lift. So an autogyro mm. does not have a motorized uh, top blade. Oh, I wondered why. I thought it would be a lot noisier. Okay, that that's, makes sense. Yeah, that's why. Okay. So did you have any trivia, anything you wanted to add? I got just that. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> interesting. I hadn't seen the film before this. So. Yeah. So let's get to the plot. 1934. 
A spoiled heiress, Ellie Andrews, played by Claudette Colbert, amscrays from Miami, leaving her tycoon father frantic. By sheer Hollywood happenstance, she runs into ace reporter Peter Warren, played by that handsome heartthrob Clark Gable. Clark, Wayne's not some jamoke, see? He knows a shiny deal when he eyeballs it, so he works out a scam with Ellie. He'll help her ankle over to her sort of husband in the Big Apple in exchange for exclusive rights to the Gabfest, see? The two starry-eyed kids plow through one hokey scheme after another, but before they know it, it's hearts and flowers between the two of them, and they start spending some serious skull sweat on what the next chapter should be. And that's the whole skinny, Sam. <laughs> Did you practice that? <laughs> not really. Ah. <laughs> it shows, doesn't it? It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. So now, the discussion. Yep. The lowdown. I got to say, one of the things that first grabbed me is, wow, Miss Columbia at the opening looks so different. <laughs> well, it also was plainly obvious that it's like, oh, it's kind of a paper cutout and they have some shiny things and they just keep jiggling them to make it look like it's sparkling. Yeah, you really do get the idea that this was not a high budget studio. <laughs> Hey, and also I have a question for you. Speaking yeah. of things like the the cheap seats and the 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 poverty row, did you at any point believe you were anywhere near the East Coast? Oh God, no! <laughs> it's like, right, yep, old... we're just outside New York here yep. in the swamp, here in Burbank. Yep, <laughs> and, and lovely old Burbank. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, wow, um, yeah. Look at all those famous New York palm trees. <laughs> <laughs> Never has New York felt more like a Hollywood back lot. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. You know, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I had not seen this. Have you seen it before? I have. I've yeah, seen it I a few it, times. It is one of those films. It is know, one of the films you just kind of got to see. Yeah, and actually, to be fair, besides Gone with the Wind, this is my only Clark Gable film. Really? Yeah. yeah. Never just never seen a Clark Gable film. Um, and of course, I'd seen him. Well, that's not fair. I've, of course, seen him in many Warner Brothers cartoons. <laughs> Well, sort um, of, yes. Where they make fun of his ears. And like yeah. for the first part of the film, because he's wearing a hat, as it turns out, I'm like, I don't get it. What's the big deal? And then about halfway through the film, he's not wearing his hat so much. It's like, oh, yeah, they do kind of stick out, don't yes, they? Yes, I look at him and go, oh, your majesty. <laughs> Prince Charles. No, I'm... Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting thing, though, how standards change. Claudette Colbert is beautiful. She is She is just gorgeous. But in a very 30s way. Very 30s, very porcelain doll sort of way. Mm -hmm. Clark Gable, who was the heartthrob, he, I don't know if he'd, (laughs) would he really make it as a romantic lead today? Because honestly, he's kind of funny looking. Oh, kind of funny looking. Yeah, kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, just, just funny just, looking. Just funny looking, yeah. <laughs> Actually, my note was he's more rakish than handsome. He, The thing he has is charisma. He has so much presence, and his voice is great. Yeah. You just can't not listen to him. When he starts to talk, you're just, it's mesmerizing. And he's one of those hard-drinking reporters of the time. Yep. You know, uh, Stop yep. the Presses, that whole thing. Yep, his Gal um, Friday, yep. Yeah I, yeah, I know that's another biggie. I never saw that one. Uh, but he is, and I'm sitting there looking at him and going, you know, I wonder, because heartthrob means a different thing now. These days, heartthrobs, basically, you start seeing pretty much everything, mm. right? So uh, most of these Hollywood heartthrobs, it's, I'm sure that there's a nudity clause, and it's like, the clause is you got to do it. <laughs> um, and you see a lot of butt these days, and taking yeah. off a shirt has become a thing, but back then, I'm sure it wasn't, and it's just sort of very matter-of-fact. I'm wondering how the the people reacted at that point. Um because he's nice, he's well enough built, but apparently growing up, he was n- undernourished. Mm. Um, yeah, this would actually be a problem through his life. Like, people would have to, like, basically beef him up to get him to do roles. Uh, yeah, apparently he was supposed to be wearing an undershirt in that scene, but there was no way he could take it off gracefully or any way that didn't look silly. Well, so he just said, hair. let's not do it. That scene caused a massive decline in the sale of undershirts for men. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, some people argue it led to the fact that men stopped wearing undershirts. Well, Clark Gable's not wearing one. I ain't wearing exactly. one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I just wonder if there was a lot of swooning. I just do. because I, I wouldn't I, have been surprised. It was a big deal for a guy to take his shirt off on the screen. Yeah. Uh, so but as you, and, and the, as you say, the, ni- the nice thing about it is... It's not a big deal. I mean, he's obviously doing it to sort of make her uncomfortable and get her to go to the other side of the room. 
Let's talk about that aspect of his character. So there's a lot of things in here that, and we'll also talk about the time. Yeah. But there's a lot of things in this film where you could sit there and go, wow, I'm so glad we don't do that these days. Or mm. this I really wouldn't watch. But the one thing I will have to say is as pushy, as even opportunistic as his character is, at least he's not trying to do anything sexual. And it's no. very important. And I really appreciate that. In fact, that scene where he's like, uh, you better go on the other side. And she's like, I'm not going to do anything. I don't want to. And he's like, I'm going to take off my shirt. Okay. And now I'm going to take off. Well, I'll go to my shoes. And he's like, <laughs> now off come my pants. And he's like, she finally goes. That's what but- she bolts. Yeah. it's No, that's a very big part of it. And even later in the movie, when she effectively throws herself at him, he still won't. He won't take advantage because she. He's realizing she's in a very vulnerable position, and she's also married. Sort but of. But thankfully, we see that he wants to. Yeah. And it actually really helps the character. And considering it's the '30s and things aren't, shall we say, all that liberated. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot <laughs> that has not aged well in this. Yeah, uh, it's actually really nice to see a guy being the good guy and like I know I really want this. I really like her. But I can't. Yeah. And just finally saying no. And and I suppose some could say, oh, it's very sexist to have the woman throwing herself at the man. But it's quite honestly usually the other way around. We don't see it movies, this way. Yeah. And it's never the guy saying no. <laughs> <laughs> so I really appreciated that about his character. Um, that as, as hard-bitten and smoking and drinking as he was, <laughs> no, I got to do the right thing. Yeah. Got to do the right thing. I mean, he does, He is quite unpleasant to her, especially at the beginning. But let, let, let's get there. I, I like the way the characters are introduced, both of them. I mean, Ellie is very clearly the spoiled, pampered heiress who just is trying to rebel against the repressive... Uh, I mean, they don't talk about it this way, yeah, although well, she that, does... Yeah, let, me, let me stop you right there, because yeah. this is important. We find that out about her. But the yeah. initial part of the film, I'm like, why is she being held on this boat? And part of me is also like, no one's actually standing in the way. Um, but it's it's obvious that her, the, her father is like, you can't leave the boat, you can't leave the boat. And I'm just like, who's this jerk? And, you know, why does he get away with this? And when she finally is just like, up yours, and leaps off the boat, I'm like, hey, good for you. <laughs> but we don't know exactly like the background of the character all we know is that she got married behind her father's back and he doesn't like the husband and i do want to talk about king but (laughs) i initially don't get the impression from her so much that she's uh over pampered and spoiled i get the idea is that she's caged and that she's being dictated to and she wants to be her own person now that being said it makes for an interesting contrast later when we find out Okay, maybe she is spoiled and she is pampered, but initially we don't know that. And I'm all for her getting off that boat, and I think it's a terrible situation. So I, like, nearly clapped. I can see that, except there are a couple of little things that give you the idea that that she's not so easy to get along with. That's like when the stewards are trying to bring the food in, mm-hmm. and she is like, you know, just looks at them, and they both look terrified. These huge guys, and they're like, hey! They're yeah. obvious. They're used to. Obviously, she's very abusive to them. She throws tantrums. That I thought that was a really effective sequence because it's, they don't say anything. Nothing is is made explicit. But you go, yeah, this one's a terror. Well, my feeling was again, she's being literally caged and is obviously more than just a complacent daughter. She is her own person and has obviously tried to assert herself before. And this is just the breaking point where she's finally like, that's it, I'm done, I'm leaving. So again, the spoiled part didn't really hit me till later, which is fine. And that's good because again, later we find out it's like... she may have married King just to be like like her father said. Her father actually comes off as an absolute horrible bore and this terrible ranting, raving character, not entirely unlike Yosemite yeah, Sam. Yeah. With, with, uh, with money. Blam, blam. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his character is, is a little problematic because of that, because um, he has a big turnaround. But yeah. we do find out that, you know, maybe everything that she's saying isn't entirely true and maybe something that her father says has has 
weight to it. But I appreciate the fact that she's basically like, I ain't taking this. I'm leaving. And she does with nothing. She's she, literally wearing a bathrobe and a wristwatch. Um, well, and she I was does, just like, she, good for her. <laughs> she does have moments of sort of damsel in distress, but otherwise she has a lot of agency in this movie. She is the one who is deciding her own fate. And, yes. and what she wants to fight against. And I, I do, the relationship with her and the father, it starts, initially you do get the feeling, oh God, he is this overbearing boor. And he even, he slaps her. But Which when he does, yeah, I know that that's awful. That's something that has not aged well. But when he does, they both look so horrified. Like he's mm. never done that before. Right. And it's like, he, he can't believe he's done it. Yeah, and I, that was the first moment you think, "Oh, this guy isn't just a, a cutout." And yeah, she does run off, and then the way we meet Clark Gable is, <laughs> yeah, I love that he's in a phone booth, drunk, yelling at his editor, while a whole passel of other drunk reporters, apparently, <laughs> and nobody works sober at any newspaper in New York or wherever they were. No, uh, Miami, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, that's right. It starts in Miami. Miami. They, they sure, have, it does. Yeah, excuse me. It starts in quote unquote Miami and goes to quote unquote New York. Yeah, yeah. And again, right away, he's you know you see he's the hard drinking, smoking, smart alecky, arrogant. You know, I know how good I am. And he and his editor is screaming at each other. And now we have to wonder if he was actually acting. <laughs> And I have to wonder because you said the first meeting yeah, with he was drunk. Uh, he was with Frank Capra was he was drunk and nasty. I wonder if Frank Capra's like I am changing the script because everyone needs to see this. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Although- and it's it's interesting too because our impression of him is that he's a cad, right? We see him drunk yeah. and yelling and stuff, so we don't really know him. And it's actually very nice because we get these stereotypes that we think we know in both cases, and in both cases. The movie, and this is 1934, this was not a huge era of character development, especially in a comedy. But it's nice because we see these characters and we think we know them, and it turns out we don't. Yeah. And that was one of the other things about the film in general. I honestly didn't know where it was going. There were times like, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, it didn't. Okay. And one of my later notes was, I have absolutely no no idea how this film's going to end. That's a nice touch. That is always yeah. that's always nice with a film. I also just like you were saying how she's finally made a break for it. We know she, this is not the first time she's done it because when uh, Andrews is calling, he's saying, "Send a, ta- a telegram to my detective agency. Daughter right. escaped again." Yeah, that's all he has to say. Yeah, but here's the thing, too, that I found horrible. And one of the parts that I had trouble with in this film is, like, she escaped. I'm going to have all these detectives bring her back. She's an adult. Why is anybody doing this? And also, uh, apparently 1934 was a really boring year because it's the front page of everything. It's like, oh, this guy's daughter has escaped again. No. Hey, Chief, you think we should mention something about the uh, growing war in Europe? No, no. Let's talk about some millionaire's kid who hasn't been seen for five hours. Well, to be fair, that was actually true. There we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I that part I had some trouble with because yeah. it's like I just didn't see that because all it would take is her going, "Hey, police! These people have no right to take me anywhere," and the police would have to say, "Yep, you have to leave her alone." Um, although, as as apparently the East Coast was entirely like backwoods and farms <laughs> back then, <laughs> so whatever. Uh, um, uh, Capra, I want to talk about Capra real quick. Sure. So Capra, before this, I'm looking at his list of films, and quite honestly, up until this film, never heard of any of them. Yeah, none of them were. He didn't have any hits before this one, not big ones. And then after this, yeah. lots of hits, lots oh, yeah. and lots of hits. Uh, things like this, uh, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, yeah. Lost Horizon, Mr. It's a Smith wonderful Goes life. to Watching, It's mm-hmm. a Wonderful Life, uh, Our Mr. Son, Hemo the Magnificent. <laughs> oh, good lord. Yeah, um... And actually, Mr. Uh, 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 Meet John Doe is a very interesting film. It got yeah. remade with uh, Brad Pitt as Meet Joe Black. Um, but basically, the uh, idea is that no, uh, you, you do know Meet Meet Joe Black oh, no. is a personification of death, right? It has nothing to do with uh, Meet John Doe. They redid Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Oh, 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 yeah. But, I am thinking of a different film. Yeah. It's, is it Death Takes a Holiday? That's the original. Yeah. Film. That's yes. Right. That's, that's right. right. 
Um, but I, Capra, and the funny thing is, is that you think, oh, Frank Capra, he didn't do a lot of films after that, but most of them are like big name, They're oh, very yes, memorable. we've seen this many times, it won awards types of films. So this movie, this film that will just tank and stinks and is the worst movie ever made for both the actors, the directors, and everybody who ever touched it, seems to have made a lot of careers. It really <laughs> did. You know, he's in the movie. He oh, had, who is he? He has a cameo during one of my favorite scenes. When they're on the bus... By the way, did you recognize the first bus driver? The, the Oh, no. yeah? No. That, one, that's, that was Bert the Cop from It's a Wonderful oh! Life. That's Ward Bond. Ward Bond, and okay, And he's sure. not in the credits. But wow. uh, one of my, on the second bus they are... Uh, there's that the singers in the back, and they everybody starts singing the man on the flying trapeze. Yeah. Oh, is he the guy who stands up the, the third verse three? Yep, the third verse. That's Frank Capra. Oh, that's cool. I thought that was... so. I love that sequence. It's so <laughs> adorable. It is, and it's like, oh, maybe I should take a don't take a bus. No, don't no. take a bus. <laughs> I mean, talk about being a brilliant filmmaker. It makes look it makes taking the bus look like fun. That part, because there's other parts where yeah. it's obviously not fun, but. True. Uh, I, well, of course, back then when the entire East Coast was nothing but swamps and farms, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think it's funny, too. It's like the buses. Oh, well, she wouldn't go on a bus. Nobody with any credit goes on a bus. And still everybody on the bus is wearing a suit. Yeah, and a all, hat everyone's and very nice nicely dress. dressed. Yeah. <laughs> Some and sort I of do, alternative earth. I like also on the bus, the little things. That's where you start to realize that Peter, you know, Clark Gable, he's he may be a blowhard and all, but he's not stupid. Because there's just this moment where he's trying to he's trying to figure her out, you know, and when she says I'll be at, she says I'll be back I have to go to the Windsor Hotel, and he mm-hmm. gets this look like what she's on a bus but she's going to the Windsor Hotel, yeah, and that's you can tell he's started to figure out who she is, yeah, and it's not well, yeah and he, without the pictures without any of the newspaper stories which mess up other other people he is really kind of a jerk to her initially. Yes, her, he is calling her brat and saying she how spoiled she is and making fun of her, and getting he gets pushy with her later on to get mm-hmm. her to do things. And to be fair, he is trying to get her to do things both for her own good and for his own good. Yeah, but it's this is where we, well let's go ahead and go here. This is part of the times. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is going to happen. We're going to bring this up with probably a number of films because we're going to be all over the decades. And we're watching a film from 1934. So this film is from what 86 years ago. Yeah, it was a different. It was a very different time, and gender roles were very different. Well, we hope. Yeah, and all things considered, they're a lot more equal than a lot of other films of the time. They are not equal by any stretch of the imagination, but. She often gives as good as she gets. Yeah, she'll throw back. And eventually, he starts to, you know, he treats her with some respect. He starts to realize she's not just some pamper. She's a pampered kid, but she's more than that. And that she can hold her, once she sort of finds her feet, she can hold her own against him. Like the hitchhiking scene. Well, yeah. And and the fun thing about that. Is it's it's you could sit there and say, well, that's really sexist because she it's this woman showing her leg. Except that she knows that what she's doing is going to be what gets them a ride. Yeah. And of course, she gets a ride with the skipper's father. Yeah, um, that's right, <laughs> Alan Hale Senior, Little John, Doop. Um, <laughs> but it's she's exploiting something, not herself. She's exploiting the wants and desires of the of the person she's trying to get something out of. So for me. The way she does that is not sexist, just because she's using sexism against her. I don't know her. her she's prey. using her sexuality as a mechanism. That's yeah. right, and it's her choice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's he makes never he never suggests she does that. In fact, she really he's outraged when she does, and she, he's really outraged because it works and his didn't. Right, it's and almost that, like she knows people better than he does. Yeah. Uh, and the other interesting thing about her character, and we're going to still talk about the times, but is that she's like, well, I know what's right. Everyone thinks I don't know anything. And we find out, you know what's right to a point, And then usually you would call for a servant because suddenly you are a fish out of like, yeah. like the one scene where they're sleeping in the hay. And by the way, if you've never slept in hay, it sucks. Yeah. Itchy. Uh, it's awful. Um, she panics. Yeah. Because she's like, I literally, I realize I don't know what to do. I have no money. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, when, she, when she thinks he's disappeared. And right. she does. She ha- she goes into hysterics. 
And with her character and her portrayal, and this is also admittedly a 21st century viewpoint, but I was not looking at her as, oh, the poor female doesn't know what to do. It's the, no, it's the pampered, caged person who yeah. doesn't have to deal with the real world suddenly realizes what the real world is. Yeah, you realize and, she's never had to sleep outside in her life. No. I mean, she's always had toothpaste. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, again, for the time, it's she's not a liberated character, but she's a lot further along than I think a lot of female characters in the movies are. And, and her holding her own with Clark Gable is nothing to shake off. Because, like and, you said, he was Clark Gable. <laughs> and she also shows that she can adapt quickly. That scene where the detectives come in and the two of them pretend to be married and start having this huge scene. fight. <laughs> and she goes right into it with him and changes her accent and is pretending to cry. And it, that scene is just wonderful because you could tell they're having such a good time doing it, yeah. even though they're worried. But and, and everyone gets so uncomfortable. <laughs> Right. And that I actually wrote that. I had a note on that, just that scene, and said it was delightful, and it really was. It is, That's it, actually maybe like a high point of the movie. It's, it is. I, that and the trapeze song. I, I don't know why, but that I loved. I love the yeah. sailor dancing and then swinging from the uh, luggage racks. Yeah. Well, the, the um, totally straight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are you um, talking about? He's in the Navy. Of course he's straight. Sure. Yeah. yeah whatever you say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, some things when you talk about the movie's times, you just you can just ignore them because it's like, oh, look, you know, look at the size of that bus. Oh, my God. Yeah. People have room to sit and there's a steward and they sell things. (laughs) Stuff like that. It's like you can ignore. It's really more when I talk about the times where Max and I talk about the times we're talking about how does this play today? Like Mm. these societal norms or this action or whatever. And Again, there's there is some definite misogyny here because of the times. Oh yeah, I mean he, when he smacks her on the ass. Yeah, these days we'd have her hitting him, but whatever. Um, there are some things. It's like yeah, you just don't do that. Though again, the nicest part is that she's interested and he says no, and he doesn't try anything to the point that she has to try and say no by force. Like that, that's nice. I'm glad to see that. Um, and some of the weird things like they don't even have the word motel yet mm-hmm. oh it's we have this lovely car camp i think or whatever they auto call camp it. yeah auto camp and yeah. the fact that they won't let them stay in the same cabin or the same room unless they think they're married yeah um so i for me when i look at this film and say how would the, how does this play today can i watch this film guilt-free my feeling is probably 90 percent of it yeah I don't. I don't really have a problem. If you the, keep it in historical context, I don't have a yes. problem with that. I think it works. It's it's yeah. a 1934. It was a different era, right? But and as long as you're aware so, of it, yeah, yeah. There's nothing so egregious in this film that I'm just like, yeah, I'm laughing, but I'm wincing. Yeah, um, there wasn't really much of that, which is cool because it does matter. Um, we don't want to hold up films or recommend films that you know. Well, we like it, but Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> So this film is generally Hitler-free, is what it's, I would like to say. I believe say. almost 100% Hitler-free, yes. Now with so. less Hitler. <laughs> and Retzen. It's a glistening drop. Yeah. Um, hey, I got a quick question for you, Max. Yeah. Who names their kid King? Uh, that, the same, uh, honestly, the same kind of people who name their kids Duke or Earl or Prince. I actually do know one other actor named King. Actually, an actor. This was a character. Uh, who? His name is King Moody. You would know him for two things. Uh-huh. He played Staka from Get <gasps> Smart. Oh, God. Yep. And for the uh, the early appearances in the commercials, he played Ronald McDonald. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. Staka was Ronald McDonald. My mind yep. is blown. Yeah. Um, so that make King... Mayor McCheese like Siegfried? I don't think so. That was that was Bernie Capel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, King, um, but I would like to actually to talk about that character. So at one point, apparently, um, Ellie has run away from home. She spent the whole day out shopping, had a great time. Even she managed to dodge the detectives. Gets into a car, and I guess it's a cab. It happened to have King. What's his name in it? Uh, Weasley. Uh, Wesley. Sorry, Wesley. 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 <laughs> Weasley. He looks like King a Weasley. Weasel. He does have that sort of. Yeah. Name. We don't know a lot about him. 
We know almost nothing about him. But when we see him, it's like I expected a money grabber. Mm -hmm. I expected a cad. But quite honestly, he actually seems to love her. Well, I don't know if he loves her. I, you remember the dad says, you've latched onto a good thing and you don't want to let go, and he, and he does not deny it. He, no, ne- he never he, says, I love her. He's He does, though. At the, when he's at the wedding, he's like, yes, I'm looking forward to spending t- the rest of my life with her. I think he actually does. I think he thinks that she could be fun. I think he's enjoying it. I don't think he's evil. I just think he's very shallow. And the only thing we well, know about him is he's, he's an aviator. I don't yeah. know if that means he's a pilot or what. But well, that's what that means. I guess, but did, did they have commercial pilots in 1934? Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Most, I mean, you had to be rich to fly, but you could do it. Sure. Uh, the DC-4, I think, or DC-3 goes back that far. Oh, okay. Um, how about the old Pan Am Clipper, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Pan Am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, part of it is also the way he looks. He just looks like he should be, <laughs> tie, he should be trying to tie her to a railroad track. I, that was actually a problem I had with the film, is that I wish that Westley had actually been somewhat objectionable. Like, I wish we had found a scene where Dad's trying to buy him off, and he's like, oh, not for that little. You know, something like, something to let us see that that... I mean, we what we eventually find out is that she just doesn't know him. Yeah. She married him. It turns out that Dad was right, that she married him just to spite him as something yeah. to do. We hear a lot about him. People tell us, oh, I mean, he's a phony, he's a, a cad, he's... But it's true. We never see him really demonstrate any of those qualities. He just seems to be a little shallow, and the fact that he does, he does get bought off for a hundred grand. But, well, but that's... It basically, he didn't put up a, a snit about it, and the amount of money is, especially in during the Depression, yeah. even if you're an aviator, is really hard to say no to. And yeah. let's face it, even if he does really like her and thinks he might like to stay married to her, I, did they have a day together? I mean, that's kind of... It and seems he, like he all also did just watch her leave him at the altar. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I could see, you know, he's within his rights to be a little miffed and maybe want a little cash out of it. But it's true. It's it's interesting because he's held up as, he's not held up as a villain, I don't think, in the movie. He's just no, held up as wrong for her. Right, but we don't... We don't see it. All the, all, all, no, and I wish we did. Yeah. And I, that's, Heck, that that's a slight thing. Because it's like, I actually think he was kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, yes, he's greasy and he has that mustache. and uh, But that's okay, because he'll die and uh, will it to David Niven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I I wish they had done something, a little something with the character to make him a little bit more objectionable. Speaking of eh. of people's characters, there's some stuff that Peter Warren does that's a little hinky. Like when when uh, when uh, Oscar Shapley, I love that name. Yeah, Shapley. That's how I like. That's how I like him. <laughs> yeah, ask anybody. Okay. Uh, hey, no offense, Doc. <laughs> I I wasn't actually sure that Shapley had actually even been with his wife. Yeah. I, I, what are you saying? I, I've got a wife and two two children. I'm like, you just made that up, didn't you? I believe he has a wife and two children. I don't think they're his. <laughs> But the way, you know, he figures out who Ellie is and he wants in on the reward money because the father's posted a $10,000 reward, which is a yeah. crap ton of money back then. $2 million. Yeah. Well, no, no, $10,000. No, no, $10, that would be $200,000 roughly. Yeah, that ain't hay. But no. uh, and the way Warren gets rid of him by basically <laughs> pretending he's a gangster and telling him he's going to kill his children. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. But it was funny. Yeah, it's played for laughs. It's like, oh my God, you just, you said, you basically told a parent the worst thing you could possibly tell them. Because that is the most terrifying thing you can do to someone who has children is threaten the children. Yeah. Although he does point out when he stops running and starts thinking, he's going to realize that wasn't true. But still, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even well. The only reason that that even ties into the times is, of course, uh, racketeering was huge during this because oh, yeah. we're still in uh, prohibition and all that stuff. I don't remember when that got repealed. Uh, it was right before World War II. I thought it was thirty-six, thirty-eight. I can't remember. Yeah, but yeah, so the ga- the- yeah, gangsters are a big deal. And we ha- we had Capone was still around and pretty. You ever heard of Bugs Bunny? <laughs> <laughs> Gulp, no, <laughs> sir. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that to Rocky. Rocky's too smart for you, see? But uh, <laughs> also, when they're 
But they get the ride from Alan Hale, Alan Hale Sr., <laughs> who yeah. insists on singing for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but he tries to steal their or he tries to steal a suitcase and Peter runs after him, catches up with the car, which let's face it, 34, he probably could catch up with the car. They, they weren't exactly tea. speed demons, and that thing he was okay. driving was not exactly a roadster. No. But he beats him up, ties him to a tree, and steals his car. Yeah. That's our hero, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, you know, crime back then was really funny. <laughs> I, I, that was something I don't think aged very well. No. No, that's why I gave it 90%, because yeah, yeah. there's some stuff in here. It's like, no. Uh, and yes, he's a thief, and he probably has something coming to him. I would like to have actually seen a scene where he does something else and gets the car and just y- pretends that he... I don't know, yeah. but it's 34. It, it was funny then, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so some of the other things I'd like to talk about is... Uh, and this I'd like to bring up again, depending on the film, but this is I think is going to pop up pretty much every episode, is these romantic comedies usually require there to be one of two things, sometimes both of them. In this case, the first one, the number one thing that these films require is chemistry. Yes. So, do you think there's any chemistry at all between Claudette Colbert and Clark? And if you look really close, they'll look real close, squint. You could is there s- you can any- see their chemistry from space. <laughs> they have so it they work so well. I couldn't tell you why because I I, I can see why they sort of chose them. They they are so different. Claudette Colbert looks like an aristocrat. She really just yeah. has the you know haughty kind of almost cold features in this, and she really plays that up. And, and he works for the family. Yeah, <laughs> and he do, he looks like a guy. You know, he just yeah. looks like he looks like a, you believe him as a working man. Yeah, and they work so well together. The the way they back and once once they get comfortable, the back and forth with the way they talk, the way they look at each other. Yeah, that scene where it's toward the end, where she basically declares she's in love with him. The scene where she comes around the blanket and just looks at him, and the yeah. look is like, "Whoa!" The camera lens just melted. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a little Vaseline smeared on there, but that's fine. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's. There's still- also the nice scene that's right in the same thing where she's on the other side of the blanket, and he's talking about this Pacific island he went to once, and how he just loved being there and basically being a guy, but also <laughs> just doing outdoors things and walking into the surf and just enjoying being hit with the surf. And he's like, "I want somebody that'll do that with me, that'll enjoy it as much as I do." And you can see that independence is something that she's always thought she wanted. She just never knew what it actually was because her dad wouldn't give her any. Mm-hmm. But now that she's tasted some of it, she's considering. It's not an instant, I love you. It's, yeah, you know, yeah, I do. I would do that. And that's when she, and he has to say no. Yeah, it's so, When she comes around, it's almost heartbreaking. And she looks at him and says, Peter, take me with you. Yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah. And he's right. For two reasons to say no. One, she's married and it's, you know, mm. but it's also, she's not ready yet. No. She's still, yeah, she is in a very vulnerable state. She doesn't really, she's trying to figure out what she wants because they're just about to get back to New York. <laughs> New York. And, uh, <laughs> yes, jolly old chap. <laughs> they shouldn't have built yeah. the observatory next to the bus station. Uh, that, it, it's also nice when you see who they are on the bus when there's the woman who faints mm. and Clark Gable is comforting the son. Yeah. And the kid's saying they hadn't eaten since yesterday. And the first thing, he, without thinking, he starts pulling out his money. And he's trying to figure out, you can tell, he's trying to figure out, well, this is all I've got. And it's a 10. i got to break it somehow. And yeah. Claudette Colbert, without thinking, just takes it from him and gives him to the kid. And But he's, he's like, I'm a, about to protest, but... Yeah, well, he's I like, guess it yeah, really- yeah, that, yeah I, got no, I don't have a real problem with that. I just have to figure out some other way we can eat. And I didn't even think about this, but it's a really good foreshadowing of the we can trust Clark Gable because he's going to do the right thing. Yeah. Right? Because we see later when she throws himself at her, at she throws herself at him, mm-hmm. that he says no, and he wants to say yes, but it's like, look, I, there has to be somebody who's looking at this realistically, and strangely, it's the drunk reporter. But, <laughs> and it's like, this right now, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And that leads to something else I definitely wanted to touch on, too, which is the father. 
So the father is Yosemite Sam. I mean, <laughs> I totally see it. And yeah. he's yelling at people, and he's flying everywhere, and he's got detectives, and he's offering rewards, and all he needs is to get his daughter back, and it's like, uh, call Sardit, gir, girtin, tootin, rootin, tootin. <laughs> and it's like, one of my notes was, F the father. Just just the heck with him. I don't, I, I can't stand him. And what do they do with him? They turn him oh, around. Yeah. And we, we find out some of what's been going on, which is she does this all the time. She really doesn't know what's going on. Part of it is the problem is that he really has done nothing to try and let her learn about the world. He's done everything to keep her cage, which is why she's having this problem. Yeah, it's clear he's very protective. She's his only daughter. There's clearly no mother in the picture. No. And uh, yeah, and he does really care about her because what becomes really important to him, you know, it never is when he realizes she's in love with uh, Peter Warren. I mean, it's part of it. She, he really doesn't want her to marry King, not because he's not he's not appropriate or he's from the wrong family, because Warren obviously isn't. He's no. a working man, and that doesn't bother him at all. No, in fact, yeah. he, he pushes him to find out. It's a great scene where he's like, do you love her? I wouldn't be caught, but do you love her? I asked you a simple question. Answer it. Do you love her? Yes, yes, yes but what? I'm a little nutty too. <laughs> yeah, and it's a great scene because yeah. you see that the problem I have is I really have a lot of trouble reconciling the dad in the first half of the picture with the dad in the second half of the In picture. the first half, he's really more of a cartoon. Except right. you can also ex- understand that he's angry what is the reason people get angry? They're afraid. Yeah. He's scared because his daughter is out there and he knows she's not able to take care of herself. Or he believes just, that. The problem I have is that the lengths that he's gone to and the actual things he's done to raise her are kind of disagreeable. I have a team of detectives to follow her wherever she goes. Yeah, pr- clearly he has them like on retainer or on standby. <laughs> Retainer. Sorry, there's another deeper. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's that's from uh, 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 Goodwill Hunting. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I I like the father in the end of the film, but I literally hate the father in the beginning of the film. And I will say this for um, Capra, and I really appreciate this: is that he does give us characters that we think we know, and then spends the film showing us that we don't. And I appreciate that. I just think that the transition doesn't entirely work. Yeah, that character, his transition's a little unbelievable. I had the same thing with Warren's editor, who yeah. starts who starts <laughs> out like, "Get away! I never want to see you again." And then he's like, uh, "He's like really sorry when he realizes that the love affair that he Gable is in love with Ellie and isn't going to isn't going to be with her, and suddenly they're all pals." Yeah. And again, I like that. I think that relationship works. It's a kind of, you know, Perry White, uh, Clark, or Lo- almost Lois Lane. Uh, oh, I was it's, gonna, a, it's bordering on J. Jonah Jameson is what it is. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but then he, you know, I, I also love when he's shouting out orders, like, you know, rebuild the third page, send this in, he yells out to the secretary, hey, get me a doctor, I'm having a nervous breakdown, and then immediately <laughs> goes on to something else. Yeah. I, I wish there had been... Like, when, whenever Peter was sending cables and stuff back, I'd like to have seen the anger and the flustering and the blustering, and then a, but hold page four just in case, you know, like yeah, that. I w- yeah, I'd like to know. It's not as clear that the editor really does think he's a good reporter yeah. until the end. And then maybe also if his turnaround wasn't quite so, like, if he had still been gruff with him, but yeah. like, oh, what you put me through, eh, eh, let's go get a drink. I like, can't stay mad at you. Yeah, you big lug, you yeah. know, the little jaw punch thing. <laughs> that would have been nice. You know, this is us yeah. picking apart one of, yeah. you know, the most beloved directors of all time and one of the most beloved romantic comedies and as you said the blueprint of romantic comedies yeah, but well. hey we get to because we have a show and you don't yep yep so did you have any other uh like universal talking points things we should bring up about romantic comedies in general besides the chemistry yeah just one so uh generally this chemistry does it work does it not we decided yeah it's sorted no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh the other one and this is often the case most romantic comedies throw people together that generally otherwise would not have met and so i have to ask a question do we buy the way they get together yeah because it it's funny they say it happened one night and maybe it it's really four does. nights yeah it's four <laughs> nights and you know yeah it's one of those that is one of the staples of a lot of rom-coms is people fall in love very quickly yeah i mean really quickly yeah 
Like and, 45 minutes. <laughs> and that is one of the suspensions, the things, suspension of disbelief and how easy or how difficult. In this one, I think it works. I buy yeah. it. What about you? I do too. I mean, look, you know, the backwater that was the East Coast in the 1930s. <laughs> Actually, I love the modes of transportation because it's like, I thought, why don't they take a train? Okay, because they're watching the trains. Okay, I get that. Oh, they actually had Greyhound buses. Wow, (laughs) they were actually pretty nice. Yeah, but of course, you know, the roads back then really were terrible. Um... Sure, it's a happenstance. He, they, she happens to be from "quote unquote" Miami. He <laughs> happens to have been down there doing a story. Sure, things happen in Miami. I could apparently there was they were building a road. That was a story, um, and it's it's happenstance. But it's not so outlandish that I think it gets in the way, or even is a sticking point. There's not a point where I'm just like, okay, I'll buy this, but I, you know, really, really no, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. and it's also at. Does the relationship develop in a believable way? Never skip setting aside the the speed with which it develops. Yeah, and I think yes because part of it is they're in adversity. We see them like overcoming obstacles together, and that will throw people together. <laughs> well, that's that's part of the part that kind of falls away for me because it's like right. So you left. Miami, and you're in this next town, and there's no town on the East Coast. And to be fair, in this very southern parts, this might have been yeah. an issue. But when they're only like a day outside of Philadelphia, I'm like, ah, yes, the backwoods of Pennsylvania yeah. near Philadelphia. Mm. It's a little hard for them to get to where they're going, but it's fine. It's fine. It it doesn't really get so much in the way. It's just quite obvious to me that everywhere they show outside is California. <laughs> Well, yeah, you also have got to remember there weren't highways. Not really. Not no, then. No, that, didn't, but, that was until after World War II. But the East Coast was a little bit more built up than I think a, a you're making it out to be. <laughs> yeah, it's the not West like, Coast, not so much. But yeah. Yeah. Not like they're in the Ozarks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, no, I think that both the chemistry and the happenstance, the coincidence, whatever it is, the 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 issue that gets them together, and the, as you point out, the road trip it becomes, it becomes a uh, Bing Crosby and J- Bob Hope movie. Um, it works fine. So, yeah. how about you? Anything else you want to get to before we decide whether this film actually still works? Just just one other. There are two points actually. Uh, one is just Capra has such wonderful visual touches. Sometimes I love when Ellie is running away from the wedding. And she's running across, at at quite a good clip, across the lawn, and this long white train of her dress is billowing in the air behind her. I thought the word we were going to have an Isadora Duncan moment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Well, it almost doesn't make it in the door. And she pulls it in at the last second. It's like, that's going to get caught in the wheel, and her neck's going to snap, and she's going (laughs) to die. Ah, That would be a dark turn for a Capra movie. Ah, yeah, well, you know. But, uh... I also think it's an interesting choice that we never see the reunion. We don't see them get together. No, and it was one of my notes, too. It's like, I like the little walls of Jericho and the little horn idea, but why is it like, once he admits that he loves her, we never see him again. Yeah, and we don't see her with him. We don't see them, you know, There's we don't necessarily need to see the, oh, darling, I missed you, or I was wrong, or you were wrong. But we never physically see them together at all. And I thought that was a very strange directorial choice. I have a distinct impression. This movie, they were supposed to take four weeks to film. (laughs) I wonder if they ran out of time, the actors left, and they had to improvise the ending without them. Yeah, because it really is just, I want to make it very clear, that's pure speculation on my part. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Because all it would have taken is a scene of them in the room laughing, pulling down the blankets, and a, you know, zoom out to the end would have been, that's it. Just to see them happy, but we don't actually get to see it. So there's kind of not a payoff, and that's that was weird. I guess, I still kind of like it, though. It's like, we don't need it. We can, we can imagine it ourselves. We know these characters so well already. We don't have to see it. We know what their their reunion would be like. On that point, I'm going to disagree. I think it stood out as being weird. That there was just, we don't get to see them after all that. We don't get to see them together. I don't need to see them doing anything. Just together and happy. Maybe that was the thing, is that at that point, neither of them could stand each other. It's like, I can't act happy in front of that man. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. uh, Is that all your points? That's it for me. So now we get to that part. The Roundup. 
So Matt, well, this thing was a trial to sit through. <laughs> oh Lord, there's hour an hour and forty-four minutes. minutes. I'm never gonna get it back. Same here, boy. <laughs> so you've yeah. seen this before? Huh? Have you have, seen this many I, times? I have seen this at least three or four times, and I never get tired of it. I, I really like this movie, and it's also just it. Honestly, it's more fun the more movies I see because there are. It's like, oh wait, it's that guy from this other film. These people <laughs> who weren't credited, or oh look, yeah, you know, Ward Bond, or oh my god, that was Frank Capra. And there's often new things to find, and then I st- when, when I read the thing about Frizz Freelang, I'm going, hey, oh my god, he does sound like Bugs Bunny when he's eating carrots. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Mm. What about you? Uh, this- it's nice. Um, I will say it's not my favorite romantic comedy of the era, um, okay. although I've only seen it once. I remember seeing and liking Bringing Up Baby more. Um, you pointed out that this is considered the first screwball comedy. I actually mm. don't find it that screwball. That being said, maybe compared to the other comedies of the time, it I was th- considered. I think compared to earlier ones, because, you know, goof, there was physical humor and there's goofy things happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Bringing Up Baby is way more screwball. <laughs> bringing a baby involves a leopard. Yes, there's so. a leopard and a dinosaur skeleton. <laughs> uh, that's uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn and... Uh, Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Yes, I think that's so. right. Uh, but it was nice. You know, I'm certainly glad I see it. I can see... I, I was watching this film and it's like, I wonder what the impact was because I bet it had a pretty big impact. This feels like a film that did really well. I didn't know it was going to do that well. Yeah. But because, uh, you know, the amount of money they spent was like, you could make a movie for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's nice. Uh, it's not. There's not any scenes of real danger. There's not really any points where you're really worried. Um, I but I didn't know where it was necessarily going. It's like okay, I know. Given a romantic comedy, we're gonna get B a happy ending. Fine, but when those two split up and Clark Gable spoiler goes off ostensibly to basically smooth everything out so he can be with her. And she thinks that he's dumped her. And she goes back to her dad. And you see Clark Gable in that crappy old Model A or T or whatever the heck it is. You think, oh, he's going to catch up or they're going to see, oh, the railroad crossing. They're going to see each other and she's going to jump out of the car. No, none of that happens. All of the things that I think are going to happen don't happen. And this is 1934. And you wonder a little at the wedding... She's like showing that she's grown up a bit because she's saying, "No, uh, you're right. I should get married. I should settle down." Yeah, you know, it's kind of sad because she says it doesn't really matter who with. Like, right. Oh Lord. Well, then, oh, oh, the father gets Peter to the house. Oh, they're yep. going to see each other, and they're going to no. He no. just leaves. Hey, yep. No. Okay. He's going. He's going to. He's going to double back, and he's going to watch the wet. No, he left. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we'll never see him again. And so I was like, I know they're going to get together. How are they going to do it? And to be fair, once we get to the, once the father says, I'll have your car waiting, it's like, okay, that's how they're going to do it. But up till that point, I didn't know. And I think that's not only the mark of a good story, but a good director. If you can keep you guessing, especially with something like a romantic comedy where they're, what are we going to see 10 years later when there's three kids and that's when she leaves the guy? No, they're not going to do that. This ain't giant. (laughs) So, uh, I yeah I I would I would recommend it if you've ever if you have a soft spot for old movies um, and romantic comedies if you've always wondered what the big deal about Clark Gable was this is a pretty good film to see what the big big deal about Clark Gable is and Claudette Colbert she's great this really is this is an it's a good movie it's a good rom- romantic comedy it's some great performances this one's a winner yeah I think so yeah so now well, we've started off uh, with a bang what's our next one going to be. We're going to watch one of my favorite romantic comedies ever. Oh, yes? It's both funny and touching, and there's a little bit of music in it. Mm -hmm. It's Twilight. What? You know, Twilight Vampires. Twilight's not a comedy? (laughs) Sure it is. (laughs) Well, it's not intentionally a comedy. Maybe not, but (laughs) that's not its fault. Wait, what? Sure. Uh, all right, knock it off. What do we actually want? Twilight. Twilight. Good Lord. What do we actually Edward, want to watch? Edward. Well, it's a possibility. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going right, to chop listeners. you up and feed you to Bumpy. <laughs> 
listeners, listeners, don't tune out. We're not no, watching no. Twilight. We're really ever not. again. Because every <laughs> single time I've seen Twilight, it has been one person's fault. <laughs> and I've seen Twilight four times. Yep, and it's worth it if you watch it with the Rift Tracks commentary. And that is the only the way, tracks. by the way, to watch the, that movie. And, you know, we should get a little bit of kickback for that because we mentioned Rift Tracks and, you know, hey, guys, could yeah. shoot, shoot us a tenor, huh? Oh, sure. Hey, how about a free on. movie? It's yeah. just like we got all that free stuff for Rogue Ware for 3. <laughs> <laughs> you said you weren't going to bring that up again. I can't help but bring it up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> What are we so, watching next what week? What are we actually seeing? We're going to shoot ahead a few decades, uh, kind of a lot of decades, about <laughs> six of them. Uh, and we're headed for the 90s. Uh, it is a film starring somebody who used to be a current day or more or less current day, Mr. Romantic Comedy himself. Um, but don't take anything he says offensively. He can't help it. He's British. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Apologize himself, Hugh Grant. Uh. We're going to see one of his many romantic comedies, uh, Notting Hill. Ah, yes. That was where you go to buy Notting Ham, is it not? They have no. very good ham on there, up there. You've never been to Britain, have you? <laughs> I have. It's just been a while. Yeah, I'll say. That's right. Five years. That's right. That's Hugh Grant and, oh, God, what's that What's that woman's name? There's some woman in that movie with him, I forget. Uh, she was uh, like some minor actress at the she time. She went away real quick. Yeah, uh, boy, yeah, I can't. Uh, uh, I want to say Roberta. No. Bonnie Jack, Franklin? No. Jackie Roberts. Uh, 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 we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, some woman. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so next week, uh, we're going to get a big apology and some lady <laughs> in a romantic comedy called Notting Hill. But yes. until then... We're not Notting we're, Hill. We're just Notting Acquaintances. Yeah, sure. Boy, we... Until then, we still can't figure out how to end the show. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs>